With what's essential if we're to be used by God, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. 99.9% of ministry is just showing up and just being there. You're not going to be used in an incredible way if you don't show up where God wants you to show up, if you're not there, if you're not in proximity to where God wants you. Just being here is going to open up the opportunity for you to be used of God. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You It's perhaps surprising to hear of the importance of just showing up, but it's been well said that it's not our ability, but our availability. God can provide all the ability that's needed. You need only show up, as we'll hear today on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We're making our way through 2 Kings, and we've been learning about what it is to be a man or a woman of God. We'll be encouraged to hear if we will make ourselves available to go where we're called to go and say what we're called to say, the Lord will provide the rest. What an exciting prospect to learn about. Let's join Pastor Ed Taylor in 2 Kings 8 as he begins today's lesson in verse 5. He reminds the king about the miracle of God done in her life with her son, and it moved the king to give her the request, give her her land back, and he arranges it by the time we get to verse 6. And you know, the king didn't have to do this. He didn't have to. He was the sovereign king. He could make whatever decision he wanted to make. And it, it reminded me at times in our lives that we have, sometimes we have leaders and bosses and authorities over us that we don't really like and we don't really agree much with. And I'm not asking for an amen. I don't want you to get in trouble. But we've all worked with people. We've all had people in our life, maybe within, even within ministry, where God has used a leader that, that we may not agree with or we didn't like, but God's using that leader to hone us and to, to cause us to deeper dependence upon Him. And we wonder, we wonder if we'll ever have favor with them, if we'll ever get a good word or an encouragement from them. Let this little section of Scripture encourage you. The king didn't have to do this, but God gave her favor. He didn't have to do this at all, but God gave her favor, which reminded me of this proverb. I want you to see this, so turn over to Proverbs 21, especially as this might resonate with your heart. You go, yeah, I'm working for a guy right now, or I'm working for a gal right now, and I just never seem to have any favor with them. Turn over to Proverbs 21.1, because this is just one of those verses you want to hold on to, one of those connecting points. And we see it perfectly lived out with this woman in this section of 2 Kings 8. It says, The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord, and like rivers of water, he turns it wherever he wishes. In the New Living Translation, it says, The king's heart's like a stream of water directed by the Lord, and he turns it wherever he pleases. And so as you're praying for your boss, you're praying for that authority, that person in authority over you, praying for the 
authorities in life. You know, there's just ever-increasing pressure in our culture to turn on authority. And it's much better just to know that their hearts are in the hands of the Lord and pray for them. And as you pray for them, God's going to work in you. Now, come back with me to 2 Kings chapter 8, verse 7. Elisha heads to Damascus, just living his life in the Lord. Notice verse 7. Then Elisha went to Damascus, and Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, was sick. And it was told him, saying, The man of God has come here. Remember, Elisha was known as what? A man of God. He is well known, even to the king in Syria. He's the man of God. Now, they're familiar with him. They're familiar with him because he's the guy, remember, that's known not only as the man of God, but he's the guy that is known as the person that knows even the things they whisper in their bedrooms on behalf of God. He's the one, Elisha, this man of God, that God used to stop the ambushes to protect the nation. So he's known all right. And I wonder if you're known. I wonder if you're known as a man of God as a woman of God. I wonder if that's the top designation that somebody has when they think of you. That you're the man of God. You're the one that hears from God. You're the one that talks about God. Now, you could be known as a man of God in not a very kind way. I remember when I first got saved, they they were calling me Bible boy. That, That was their title for me because now all of a sudden, I had completely transformed overnight. I remember this, this one time, and I won't forget, I was walking to my car after a shift, and one of the guys I work with, he came over and knocked my Bible out of my hand. He said, what are you doing, Bible boy? And I'm like, oh boy. <laughs> Bible boy. I mean, praise God for the power of the Holy Spirit, because that dude really ticked me off. And I was really close to the old Ed back then. Like, I was much closer there than I am today. Although, haven't you found that in an instant, you can be the old you, the flesh, so quick just so quick. And you're like, what has happened to me? Well, the Lord's reminding you that daily sufficient grace is what we need. His grace is sufficient. Not the years that we've been walking with the Lord. Well, you know what? I've been walking with Jesus for 30 years, and in one second, the old you can come back. And I wonder if you know, and if you're known as a man of God and as a woman of God, whether positive or negative. Notice verse 8. The king said to Haziel, Take a present in your hand and go meet the man of God and inquire of the Lord by him, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? So Haziel, verse 9, went to meet him and took a present with him of every good thing of Damascus, 40 camel loads. And he came and stood before him and said, Your son Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, has sent me to you, saying, Shall I recover from this disease? And Elisha said to him, Go, say to him, You shall certainly recover. However, the Lord has shown me that he will really die. Then he set his countenance in a stare until he was ashamed, and the man of God wept. And Haziel said, Why is my Lord weeping? And he answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their strongholds you will set on fire. Their young men you will kill with the sword. And you will dash their children and rip open their women with child. So Haziel said, But what is your servant, a dog, that he should do this gross thing? And Elisha answered, The Lord has shown me that you will become king over Syria. And he departed from Elisha and came to his master and said to him, What did Elisha say to you? And he answered, He told me that you will surely recover. But it happened on the next day that he took a thick cloth, dipped it in water, and spread it over his face so that he died. And Haziel reigned in his place. So Elisha heads to Damascus, which 
is an act of bravery and courage. Why? Because he was known as a man of God. This is the guy that, that told of all the ambushes and stopped the victory of Syria and gave victory to the children of Israel. So for him to go to Damascus was a brave thing. It took a lot of courage to go into the enemy's camp this way. And I was thinking about our own lives and the places that God takes us. We must go where God wants us to go in the strength of the Lord. We must do what God's called us to do in the strength of the Lord. I mean, to go to Damascus, we might respond and go, well, that doesn't make any sense. But if God has called you to Damascus, you need to go in the strength of the Lord because he's already gone before you. And when he's asked, you know, this whole thing is all set up for him to be there. And, and I was thinking too, you know, the 99.9% of ministry is just showing up and just being there. You're not going to be used in an incredible way if you don't show up where God wants you to show up, if you're not there, if you're not in proximity to where God wants you. Just being here is going to open up the opportunity for you to be used of God right here tonight, not tomorrow, next week, although it could be a setup, but Elisha had to be in proximity so Haziel, in talking to his king at just the right timing, would then find him, and he's really close to be found because he's on his way to Damascus, and the question all lines up, and for everything to be done here from verse 7 to verse 15 required, required Elisha to be obedient to go to a place that you might say, why are you going there? And why would you do that? But God, that's where God wanted him. And he's asked about, and he says, yeah, he's going to recover, but he's going to die. And he was just given it tremendous insight. He was a man that could handle that. And then he began to weep because God also revealed to him that Haziel would be the next king of Syria and do great damage to the children of Israel. Perhaps already seeing in the spirit his murderous heart, he says in verse 12, because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. And he talks about all the wickedness that's going to happen. In Haziel, he got defensive in verse 13. And you really know that you've touched a nerve in someone's life by the level of defensiveness they give you, or for you and me. The more defensive we are, most likely the message really hit home. You know, my pastor used to say that when you throw a rock in a pack of dogs, the one that got hit is the one that yelps. And isn't it true, as God throws out his word among us, the one that got hit by his word, especially in a convicting way, is the one that yelps. And the Holy Spirit's wanting to provoke a response from us. He's wanting us to not be in the, just the continued status quo. He's not wanting us just to be satisfied that our sins are forgiven and that we're going to heaven, but rather he wants us to be walking in the Spirit, anticipating what new thing does he have for us. What new direction? Is it a step of faith to go? Then take a step of faith to go. Is it a step of faith to stay? Then take the step of faith to stay. But by all means, seek God and be obedient. Match the word of God with obedience to God. You know, when the human heart is set on doing evil, it will invent all sorts of excuses and justifications to make it happen. When your heart and my heart is set to do evil and has made up our mind to sin, you'll have all kinds of reasons. You'll talk yourself into it. 
You will, what the Bible speaks of, sear your own conscience with a hot iron so you don't feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit anymore, but instead you feel your own justifications. Oh, it's not that bad. Oh, God just wants me to be happy. Oh, you don't understand. Oh, you, who am I? Who, why would you say that to me as a dog? You, you, all kinds of things. In Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11, listen. It says, because the sentence against an evil work is not executed speedily, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. It's another aspect. Let me paraphrase that for you and for us. Because you aren't immediately judged by God for your sin, or because you think you've gotten away with it, or because you don't feel bad about it, or any other of a series of justifications, because the sowing and reaping hasn't happened immediately. You know, you sow, and then you go, well, you know, the Bible says if I sow to the flesh, I'll reap corruption, but I don't think I'm reaping any corruption. I don't feel it. Everything seems fine. Because that timing, there's a distance between what you've done and the consequence because of that, your heart only gets more set to continue to do evil, not less. It only burns into your mind. It's another aspect of burning into your heart and mind to continue on this path. The Bible describes it, therefore the heart of the sons of men is fully set in them to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times, and his days are prolonged, yet I surely know that it will be well with those who fear God and who fear before him. That's Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11. This is one of those verses that on the front page of my Bible, I wrote. Just one I never wanted to forget. You know how you're looking up a verse and you can't remember the address? This is one of those verses early on in my walk that I knew I couldn't forget. It was so crystal clear for my life that if I didn't grasp this truth, it would come out a thousand times in my life. Devastatingly difficult, knowing how I love to justify things. And I love to, to answer things with great and swelling answers in my heart when I've already made up my mind to do evil. And just pushing the Spirit of God away. And for Christians, I've seen all sorts of Bible verses twisted. I've heard all kinds of weird thoughts, impressions. Well, you know, this is what the Bible says. And I can't say I've heard it all because I've found just in the last couple of years, I've just seen more and more hardness. And it could be that I'm just recognizing it now, but I don't think so. I think as we're growing later and later in the last days, hearts are growing harder and harder, especially those that profess to know God and love God that it's one thing to, to stumble into sin, but it's another thing to sit with a pastor and look him in the eye and say, I'm going to do it no matter what you say. I'm just seeing more and more of that. And you, you're in a place where you're like, no, don't do that. No, this is what the Bible says. Just, just submit your emotions right now to the scriptures. Just, just ride this out. Don't make it worse by sinning willfully against God. And what is in me is in all of us. It's our flesh that truly wants to accomplish what we believe the will of God is in our own. We're not, we're not God. God's given us direction for our lives. 
He's revealed to us what's good for us and what's not good for us. And he doesn't want us living in some legalistic, crazy way of just rules and regulations. He wants us living in wisdom, in relationship with him. Now, notice. Now in the fifth year, in verse 16, of Joram, the son of Ahab, the king of Israel, Jehoshaphat, having been king of Judah, Jehoram, the son of Jehoshaphat, began to reign as the king of Judah. He was 32 years old when he became king, and he reigned eight years in Jerusalem. And he walked in the way of the kings of Israel, just as the house of Ahab had done. For the daughter of Ahab was his wife. Woe! The daughter of Ahab was his wife, which most likely means her mom was named. So she, this dude hooked up with Jezebel's daughter. And I wonder what Ahab and Jezebel produced <laughs> in their home. You're going to find out in a moment. He says that he married the daughter of Ahab and he did evil in the sight of the Lord. Verse 19. Yet the Lord would not destroy Judah for the sake of his servant David as he promised him a lamp to him and his sons forever. In his days, Edom revolted against Judah's authority and made a king over themselves. So Joram went to Zair and all his chariots with him, and he rose by night and attacked the Edomites who had surrounded him and the captains of the chariots, but his people fled to the tents. Thus Edom has been in revolt against Judah's authority to this day, and Libna revolted at that time. Now the rest of the acts of Joram and all that he did, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Judah? So Joram rested with his fathers and was buried with his fathers in the city of David. Then Ahaziah, his son, reigned in his place. So Jehoram, or, you know, sometimes he's referred to as Jehoram and gets confusing at times. You just got to jot a note down when their names are mentioned. But he's a disaster as a spiritual leader. He brought sin and apostasy and more evil into the nation of Israel as he followed Ahab's leadership and example. Now, of course, the main reason that he's given here cannot be overlooked. And the main reason that God wants us to see here is that he married the daughter of Ahab. He married the daughter of Ahab. This is something that the Bible calls, if you're taking notes, you should jot it down, especially if you're single. This is the Bible calls unequally yoked. It's actually something that God warns against and forbids. You can jot it down in 2 Corinthians. Why don't we just turn there just to get the concept uh, from the New Testament. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. We have looked at this in depth when we went through 2 Corinthians, so I'm not going to do a complete full study on it, but I do want to touch on this because... Joram's, his total failure was directly related to who he married. And he married willingly. Now remember, because I know some of you listening in are unequally yoked because when you got married, you were both unbelievers. And along the way, you got saved and your spouse hasn't got saved. And don't forget this word. Don't ever stop using this word. Always, whenever you're talking about your spouse, whenever you're praying about your unsaved spouse, don't ever neglect using this word. They aren't saved yet. Trusting God for their lives. Not saved yet. That's not here. He willingly walked into being unequally yoked. This is willing, had the choice, and made it anyway. So notice, 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11. O Corinthians, we've spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You're not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections. He's saying, what I'm about to share with you, it's not, we're not laying some trip on you. You're laying a trip on yourself by your sinful affections. Now in return for the same, I'm going to speak to children, but you also be open. And verse 14 couldn't be more clearer in the English language. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. So let's just take a little quiz, because I like to pop a quiz on you every once in a while. Is it ever okay to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever? No. If anyone answered yes, this was a pass or fail. So no ABC. It was either A or F. This is just one of those places that couldn't be more crystal clear. But you know what happens? What happens is impatience and emotions and justification. And the Bible says, don't do it. And he gives the reason. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? And what part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I'll dwell in them and I'll walk among them. I'll be their God and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from among them, saith the Lord. Be separate. Don't cut, touch what's unclean. I'll be a dad to you. You shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Whether it's a spiritually based unequally yoked relationship or practically based being unequally yoked together with unbelievers is sinful, it's hurtful, and can make your life so much more difficult than it is right now. You think your life is difficult now? Disobey this command, and it'll get worse. Pastor Ed Taylor, ending on a sobering note. And he will have more to say on this critical issue next time. But in the meantime, God will give forgiveness to the repentant heart and grace to bear the consequences. Thanks for listening to Abounding Grace and part of our study in 2 Kings. Pastor Ed Taylor is leading us verse by verse through the book. Would you like to hear today's message again? You can listen online 24-7 at calvaryaurora.org. Another way to grow on the go is to download the Calvary Aurora and Grace FM Colorado apps. Do a search for Calvary Aurora. As you know, Valentine's Day falls within the month of February, and we picked out a marriage-strengthening book for you this month. It's called Married and How to Stay That Way. This would be an excellent book to read with your spouse or even read prior to getting married. It contains biblical tools to help heal and strengthen your marriage relationship. You'll not only learn to identify the problems, but apply practical solutions found in God's Word. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Again, it's called Married and How to Stay That Way. Please remember, it's your financial support that allows us to bring the teaching of God's Word to this station every day. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. You can also write to Abounding Grace, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. Ed, what do we have going on Saturday and Sunday here at Calvary Church, Colorado? Larry, I want to invite everyone to join us, whether you're here physically, if you live in the metro area here in Denver, come on out, become a part of our church family. God's doing great work here. We have Saturday night service at 6 p.m. 
Uh, we gather together on Sundays at 845 and 1045. And for you guys listening from outside of Colorado, that's Mountain Standard Time. So you can join us if you're not here live. We live stream everything through our app, through our Grace FM. You can listen live and you can also uh, go online to calvaryaurora.org and connect with us there. But we'll be in the Word together. We'll have dynamic worship. We'll have ministry for our kids. We'll have a time in God's Word and just a taste of heaven. Man, that's what it is. That's what gathering together with the saints is all about. It's a taste of heaven. We're encouraged in the heavenlies. We have our mind firmly fixed on Jesus, if just for 90 minutes, so that we might be encouraged and reminded of His love and His grace and His mercy in our lives. So be encouraged in all that God has for you, and we would love to have you uh, come and join us and be a part of our church family. We're so grateful and so encouraged. Thanks, Ed. Again, you can find our service times and directions at calvaryaurora.org. That's also the place to turn if you'd like to watch our live webcast, calvaryaurora.org. Join us for our next study in 2 Kings. That's on the next Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. Abundant Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 